It's time for another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. That means he managed people's financial affairs, friends. I'm Gord Whitehead, retired broadcaster. Ron and I have known each other for decades. We love to talk about finance. By the way, I just want to throw this in here. In the, in the last month or so, I've noticed a move afoot by educational boards to introduce financial literacy back into the classroom. Kudos to you people. It's about time. You know, so that people understand what finance is about. You agree? You know, when you get kids coming out of high school and uh, they don't know anything about uh, uh, a checking account or RSPs or or uh, mortgages or or, or um, debt credit. <laughs> oh yeah, or debt. That's the big one. Yeah. You know, it's about time this thing was was uh, taught. You know, you get these illiterate, financially illiterate kids. They go on to get a higher education. They come out of university with a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars worth of debt, and uh, they seem to be shocked by the fact that they've got to pay it back. And the job they've gotten doesn't give them the cash flow to do that. So, kudos to you guys. We're very impressed here at, at Financial Coach, and we're certainly impressed at making money. All right. Now we're going to talk about something this week that, that maybe sounds kind of technical, but let's try to simplify. That's called substitution trading. And I want to use an analogy that we've used before. You you pointed this one out. When the gold rush happened up in Alaska, northern Canada, everybody went up there. They're going to make my fortune. Big John left Seattle in the year of 92, right? I think of John Wayne and north to Alaska. They go up there to mine gold. Most of them went broke because they didn't find any gold. But the guys who were selling them the picks and the axe and the shovels and the hose and everything else, they made out like bandits, right? Is that a substitution trade? That's a substitution trade. And what a substitution trade is, it's um, instead of investing in a particular type of company in a sector. So, for example, you take a look at, at the healthcare sector. Instead of investing in a particular company in the healthcare sector, Maybe you invest in, in companies that supply these companies with lab testing equipment or whatever. If you're a drug company, you need equipment. No matter what kind of, of uh, company you are, you need equipment. Centrifuges so, and things like that, yeah. Yes, centrifuges and... and uh, test tubes. <laughs> test tubes and, and uh, you know, <clears throat> spectrometers, and the list goes on and on. And if you are looking at the sector, no matter which company you're looking at in the sector, they all need this equipment. But in the healthcare sector, I mean, uh, a company might be betting on the fact that they've got a real winner in a drug. And well, it doesn't pass stage three medical trials and the thing drops like a stone. Or for example, they've got a drug and the drug turns out to have adverse medical uh, consequences. You know, you grow three heads or, or, or it gives you a heart attack or a stroke or something. And these companies are sued into the Stone Age. And it is a big, big setback for them. Well, if they're sued and you have one particular stock and it's sued, well, you're going to get hurt. But if you have a company that supplies to the entire sector, you're going to do well. And that's what we're talking about today. Substituting the general uh, for the specific, instead of picking a specific company, you're picking companies that supply an entire industry so it spreads out the risk. And we're going to start right off the top with one that's front and center these days. Every day I go, if I look at social media, every day there's something about 
electric vehicles and the people that supply to them. Yeah, and of course, you know, you you have uh, Elon Musk right now banging on the table saying that I hope you miners are getting busy because we're going to need more copper, we're going to need more graphite, we're going to need more nickel, we're going to need more lithium, we're going to need more cobalt because they're all essential as we move to electrification. And to reach zero emissions, we're going to need uh, literally lithium and cobalt is going to have to increase the mining of these two metals by a factor of six. Copper demand will increase twofold, and nickel will rise four times. We're not even beginning to get into rare metals. And, you know, you look at the average electric vehicle needs four times as much copper to manufacture as a gas-powered one. Um, And just building out the infrastructure to charge them requires four times the copper as conventional electrification. So, you know, all the companies that manufacture this stuff are going to be big winners over time. Do I know who's going to win the EV race? Well, Tesla's number one. But we're just getting to the point in the cycle where all the major manufacturers are going to be starting to flood the market with uh, their products over the next two years. So I'm not sure five years from now which one of these companies is going to be the winner but if I asked you, do you, do you think that uh, copper and nickel are going to be winners? I suspect you'd probably say yes, Gord. Absolutely. I mean, uh, and I've read so many essays over the last year, 18 months, about you know, people pointing to the fact that this is, this is a big concern. The amount of mining that's going to be going on is staggering. It's just staggering what they're going to be taking out of the earth to get this done. And, and I keep thinking to myself, is it possible? I guess we're going to have to make it so, right? And, and here again, you look at what is going on in the socio-political background, and we've got Russia invading Ukraine, and Russia's a big producer of a lot of these things. And if they're embargoed, well, it just means that the prices are going to go up even further, and companies that produce it are going to be able to get a premium for it. So... You know, uh, the wind's at the, these companies back right now, that's for sure. And it's an easier way to, to play the sector than to try and figure out who's going to be the big winner making these vehicles over the next decade. Okay, let's talk about the devil. Let's talk about pipelines and oil and gas producers. They seem to be the, the guy with the horns on his head in the corner these days, but uh, they aren't going away anytime soon, I don't think. No, and I mean, I've stayed away from oil and gas producers, you know, uh, over the last decade. Because, well, if you look at the price, oil's been anywhere between $130 a barrel and about minus $30 a barrel. In other words, you had to pay someone to take it off your hands. So the price volatility is too wild for my liking. But what I like about rail about pipelines is just simply the fact that Canada's been very consistent, for example. It produces about 4 million barrels a day. All that, or most of that, is shipped by pipeline. And they charge a specific amount per barrel, and they're going to win no matter who finds the oil and gas, no matter what the price is, because they, once they have contract, they're going to get X amount per barrel to ship it through their pipeline. And so I like pipelines is my exposure to uh, fossil fuels rather than oil and gas producers because typically these companies pay high dividends like uh, like TC and Enbridge 
they pay great dividends, and um, they're far less volatile than the underlying oil and gas producers. And when I'm looking for income, because like a lot of our listeners to the show, you're retired, and if you're looking for stable income, pipelines are a place to get it. Okay, one that we talked about it in, in our previous show in the, in the Rip Van Winkle portfolio was railroads. I mean, if you want a substitution play here, maybe you don't want to buy the car maker, but you want to buy the railroad because they move a lot of cars on rail cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they, they ship anything, just about everything. So when economy is humming, it can sometimes be hard to pick the winners and the losers in specific industries. But because we uh, consume more goods when an economy is growing, and railroads ship a lot of that, they're going to win no matter who the specifics are in the underlying economy, whether there's winners and losers in different sectors. Railroads are diversified enough. When the economy is humming, they ship more, and it's just a good play when the economy is rolling. Railroads, frankly, are making more money. You know, just anecdotally, uh, I mentioned that I knew some people involved in the rail industry that, you know, were in senior management positions. But last year, I golfed with a couple of engineers, guys that, you know, drive the trains. And I, and I was fascinated because one of the golf courses I play, the CN Main Line runs right beside it. And I said, how long are those trains now? Oh, about three and a half kilometers, right? If you don't think we move a lot of stuff by rail in this country, you ought to sit by a railroad crossing on a busy main line and watch how much traffic there is. It's it's amazing, and traffic is going. Uh, it's going traffic up. is it's going up, and it will continue to go up because, frankly, they have a monopoly, and um, they have to. It's very difficult to add more lines anywhere, so they're going to have to twin the lines they have. They're going to have to put more traffic. The trains are going to get even longer. And um, there's going to be even uh, those. They, they're now they're used to stack them one high. Now they're stacking them two high. So you know, as that volume increases, these guys are just a natural beneficiary of the extra money that rolls into their bank account. Okay, we've talked. To, we've done a show on 5G. Let's talk a little bit about 5G and, and <laughs> cell phones. I mean, that falls kind of into that mining thing too, doesn't it, Ron? Because like, you need a lot of that stuff to build cell phones. Yes, and, you know, at, at one point, Nokia and then BlackBerry and then Motorola were leaders in the space, and now it seems to be Apple and Samsung. So do I know five years from now whether there's going to be a technological innovation that still leaves Apple and Samsung as the leaders? No, I don't. But I can guarantee you, or almost guarantee you, that telecoms and, and companies that provide antenna towers will win no matter who the cell phone winners turn out to be because everybody will has to use bandwidth from somewhere. So in Canada, if you're like most people, you're either a subscriber to BCE, Telecom, or, or sorry, Rogers or TELUS. Those are the three big players. In the U.S., generally it's Verizon and AT&T. So they tend to be the winners. In Canada, the... Telcos generally own their own towers, but in the U.S., you have companies like American Tower and a number of others, which are, have expanded all across the U.S., Europe, and around the world. And as cell phone use continues to grow, these guys are the natural beneficiaries of that and will continue to grow as well, no matter who the winners are. So if you want to make one of these substitution trades and, and maybe you don't have the investment knowledge or confidence to, to pick the right one, is an ETF a good play here? 
Yeah, an ETF gives you the advantage to buy a basket of companies rather than picking an individual company. And, you know, we were talking about the drug sector before, and that's just a good example because you don't know if a drug's going to make it through stage three trials. Uh, you don't know if there's going to be adverse patient reactions that could lead to a massive lawsuit. But you know collectively that the medical sector has been growing like a weed for decades because as we get older, we use more of their services. And so you can buy a good healthcare ETF as a, as a substitute for owning an individual stock. So ETFs are just another great way to make a substitution trade. So think this one out a little bit. Uh, you know, sit down and say, well, gee, if, if A gets to B, how do I, what do I do in between there? Maybe I can find subset C that services both of them, right? That's kind of what you have, your thinking process has to be here. Exactly. And substitute trades work especially well, you know, when stock markets are high, um, because many of these companies tend to be market darlings. And uh, if you buy them high and they have even a little bit of a stutter in their, in their growth, um, they can really get, get hit. So um, my motto is it's better to be generally right by taking a bet on the sector than being specifically wrong. All right. Back next week to look at an area that we touched on in our Rip Van Winkle portfolio show. We're going to look at the insurance industry. This is a, is a big player in so many different sectors. And, and you, you think, well, gee, I've got life insurance and I've got car insurance and home insurance. It's a lot more at work here. We're going to do that next week in more detail. So on behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll talk to you next week on Making Money. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.